0: It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis.
1: And I'm Sky David. Who would have thought that Trump being indicted would not be the story of the week this week?
0: Not even close. He was indicted, right?
1: Yeah. And I think it rained as well.
0: <laughs> we had other news in NC poll world and it dominated... Since Tuesday afternoon, when Lucille Sherman, reporter over at Axios Raleigh, broke earth-shattering news.
1: So Lucille's tweet said breaking. North Carolina Democratic lawmaker Rep. Tricia Cotham is expected to switch her party affiliation to Republican, handing NC Republicans a legislative supermajority and the votes to override Democratic Governor Roy Cooper mid-legislative session. Now that original tweet has 4.1 million views.
0: This tweet by Lucille sent the building kind of at a whole new level of energy. People are like sending this around. Is this true? Reporters are digging, trying to find, confirm if this is going to happen. Then Tuesday afternoon, we get an email from Speaker Tim Moore. And this is his daily message that comes out from Demi Dowdy, his communications director saying there would be a press conference on Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock. Then it's confirmed. Representative Cotham has made the decision that she is switching parties. She is now a Republican member of the North Carolina House. She is the 72nd Republican in the NC House. Sky, they have an official supermajority in that House caucus as well as the Senate caucus.
1: Once the announcement was made, first, there were a lot of takes on Twitter. But some of the questions that have popped up are how is she going to vote on things that she talked about in her election?
0: She was asked directly by reporters specifically about the abortion issue. Representative Cotham, when she served her first go-round, was very outspoken about abortion politics, uh, had a very personal story about her journey with this issue. And she said to the reporters, she is the same person today as she was then. She'd had a little caveat that uh, she has evolved on some issues. She's evolved on school choice, but all indications are that she is a moderate Republican within that Republican caucus. Now, she didn't say that, but what she did not say At this press conference, I did not hear the word conservative. Representative Cotham did say she's pro-business. She thinks we should be talking about these issues. She talked about the importance of agriculture. She certainly laid out a conservative path for her within the Republican caucus. But she didn't say, look, I am now this right-wing conservative. She said, I am someone who fit Well, in the Democratic caucus at one time, referencing her first stint at the General Assembly. But she said now that person, that very same person back then, now feels more comfortable in the Republican caucus. And Speaker Moore said it at the press conference on Wednesday morning that he expects there to be some disagreement with Representative Cotham. And I suspect that's going to be around social issues because I think, you you know, fiscally, she's probably right there in the mainstream of the Republican caucus. I consider myself a friend of Representative Cotham. Uh, When she first came in to the General Assembly, she was a young legislator. I was a young lobbyist. I worked for a child advocacy organization, and Representative Cotham was a fighter for kids and kid issues. I have spoken to her over the last few months, and I know that this has been a struggle for her serving in what is she describes, and I don't know that she's far off, it is a different Democratic caucus than the one she served under back in the 2000s. Even when Democrats were in power, the liberal wing of the Democratic Party was not the controlling wing of that party. And so Representative Cotham really worked well with the conservative Democrats, the Republicans, and she worked well with the progressive side of the caucus. This new Democratic Party does have more of a uniformity to it. There is an expectation, I believe. Uh, We've seen it. We saw it last year when Senator Kirk DeVier was primaried by now Senator Val Applewhite. We saw it when Representative Brian Farkas, he was slated to go to the Senate. He was going to run for that seat, but apparently was told he couldn't run for it, that the Democratic Party would not back him because he does not toe the line or did not toe the line. And I think Representative Cotham just really saw no path to working with her colleagues because I think she considers herself more of a centrist or center-right legislator.
1: A couple things that she said that stand out are, one, she said, quote, the Democratic Party has become unrecognizable to me and to so many others throughout the state in this country. She also said the Democratic Party wants to villainize anyone who has free thought. If you don't do exactly what the Democrats want you to do, they will try to bully you and will try to cast you aside.
0: So let's talk about the politics here. First, the short term. Republicans have what they need to override any veto by Governor Cooper. Let's talk about some of the long-term effects of this. It is apparent to me, and I put this on Twitter, it seemed to get a lot of attention. (laughs) We'll Uh, get
1: to that later.
0: Yeah, but as I said, North Carolina Republicans are widening their tent by inviting a moderate former Democrat into their caucus, and it shows to me... And I think a lot of folks out there that the Republican Party in North Carolina is ready to govern for a very long time. This isn't a new concept. This is actually how the Democratic Party used to function prior to 2010. I know from my Twitter feed that there are are a lot of opinions about that. People think there's no way Republicans are moderate. I'm not saying that the Republican Party is. I'm just saying that they seem to be inviting new voices in. I don't see Democrats inviting a progressive or moderate Republican into their ranks and saying, yeah, come on in. We would love to run you as a candidate. We'd love to have you in our caucus. I just don't see that
1: happening. Speaking of opinions, (laughs) let's just open it up. Twitter was Twittering and it was a tough place to be watching. The vitriol that people seem to have for Representative Cotham was despicable.
0: Accusations that we're not going to repeat on this podcast because they're not worth repeating, but they were embarrassing, they were sexist, Mm -hmm. they were misogynistic. Mm -hmm. If you are the political party of tolerance, and I do believe at their core, Democrats want to be inclusive. But what I saw over the last 24, 48 hours, even over the last week, is not a political party or a movement or an ideology that has any respect for someone who has a different view or takes a different political path and shows why most people are checking out of both parties. I just think people need to check themselves.
1: Hard to be the people with the kindnesses sign in your front yard (laughs) and then you call someone to see you next Tuesday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is so true.
1: But neither party can claim to be the party of absolute integrity. Right, right. So on Wednesday after... There was the GOP press conference, the Democratic press conference. There were national stories that were picked up by this. The New York Times Representative Jeff Jackson or Congressman Jeff Jackson made a Twitter thread about it. You know, once that guy's going, everyone's (laughs) going to know about it. Appropriately, we then heard from the White House. Deputy Press Secretary released a statement, and I got this from Danielle Bataglia's Twitter feed. Bedrock American freedoms are at stake in votes the North Carolina legislature is taking. Republicans and the NCGA have attempted to force a wide range of extreme policies on the people of the Old North State, including criminalizing doctors and nurses involved with reproductive health care prioritizing gun industry profits over the fight against violent crime and over children's lives and gutting funding for public schools. We sincerely hope that all members of the state house and state Senate listen to their conscience instead of politics and put North Carolinians rights and the safety of their communities first. That was a lot of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So last night you and I were talking through this, we were on the phone talking about Twitter, et cetera. And, trying to grapple with the range of emotions that people were stating. And something that we both talked about was the folks in her district, her constituents, they have the right to feel angry.
0: Sure. They thought they were supporting a Democrat. They put up yard signs. They knocked on doors. Whatever they did to help Representative Cotham get elected. Yeah, they have a legitimate right. And that's between Representative Cotham and those voters, she needs to go. The have people
1: her. she serves. Yeah,
0: yeah. She needs to go have a conversation with them. Talk about her decision. Look them in the eye. Tell them, look, and as she said on Wednesday, I'm the same person. I just switched parties or the party switched on me. However you want to look at it. And you know what? They will have a say next year, 2024. Her name will be back on the ballot, assuming she runs for reelection, And they can exercise their free right to elect her or not elect her
1: what we've really been focusing on is the line between being angry and feeling like someone let you down and by the way this is another example of what we say you should never fall in love with a politician never but the line between being upset with someone and making personal attacks like the Folks that are saying incredibly sexist things about Representative Cotham, like, I don't know what that brand of feminism is that you just turn on your own and suddenly you can just say whatever you want. But like, I don't subscribe to that. Right. Other things that happened this week.
0: Oh, yeah. A house budget. <laughs> <laughs> We reported last week, you know, they were in the Appropriations Committee all day Thursday. The bill goes to finance. It went to pensions and retirement. And then on Wednesday and Thursday, the the, House floor, the budget has passed and will go to the Senate and they are going to start their budget writing when we return from the Easter recess. That'll be April 17th that Monday. And we understand, Sky, that they are really going to take just a couple weeks to write their version of the budget.
1: So we had previously said that we expected the Senate to vote on their budget by mid-May. There is a rumor now that they will be done with the conference report between the two chambers by mid-May.
0: We think that first week in May, the Senate will have done their budget. So that means we have a governor's budget, a House budget, and a Senate budget. Then they're going to throw all three budgets away and they're going to work on a conference report. That is the compromise budget between the House and the Senate with some input by Governor Cooper, although his political positioning now with the supermajority certainly will limit how much input he will have or how much input they will take. But yeah, May 15th, by the way, I'm not used to a budget from the first chamber that goes being done before Memorial Day.
1: Right. We talked a little bit this week to one of our clients about the pace of session. And I think that played out this week when the Senate bill filing deadline came up on Tuesday.
0: So a lot of the central staff this is your fiscal staff, this is your bill drafting staff, have been dedicated to helping the House construct their budget. It has caused a logjam in getting bills out of bill drafting. The Senate did something I haven't seen them do, I don't think ever. They extended the bill filing deadline to... Thursday of this week. So now all the Senate bills, if they're policy bills, they have been filed. And so we kind of know what we're working with going into crossover. We've heard some senators were like, yeah, I got my bill back from bill drafting. It's not in the most perfect state. I'm just going to file it and then we'll PCS it or we're going to amend it. We'll take all the fixes. But look, I just need to get this bill filed. Heard a rumor this week
1: you have an unsubstantiated rumor? Yeah, kind
0: of unsubstantiated, substantiated. I don't know how to classify this, but we heard this in the building on Tuesday that Senator Mike Woodard, Durham Democrat, is thinking about running for state treasurer in 2024. I called him up this week, said, hey, I've heard this. And he said, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at it. I don't know if I want it out there. He said, Lewis, I'll leave it up to you if you want to put it out there. So, Which
1: obviously <laughs> means it is going. It's
0: going. I
1: Everyone should know, if you want a secret held, do not <laughs> tell Brian Lewis.
0: He said, I could say it if I decided to say it. I'm saying it. Mike Woodard's looking for treasure in 2024. And so he would match up with Wesley Harris, who is also announced. He's a Democrat from Charlotte over on the House side. And then we know that Representative John Bradford is also looking at it on the Republican side. Now, I talked to Representative Bradford on Tuesday as well. And he said, yeah, I want to take the Easter break and talk to my family. He said they're going down to the beach for a couple days and they're just going to have a big meeting about it and decide what the Bradford family is going to do. But anyway, that treasurer's race could be something. I want to correct something I said last week. I had said that Senator David Hoyle, who died last week, I said that he was a senator from Lincoln County. That was incorrect. Senator Hoyle... Represented Gaston County and I apologize to the good folks of Gaston County who he represented
1: this week We got to sit down with Asheville legislator Representative Caleb Rudow and talk to him about his life and worldly experiences as well as the legislature Representative Caleb Rudow,
2: welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: And did we say your name right?
2: Yes, you did. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> you. Let's get really that great. out in the open because okay, a lot so, of people want to know how to pronounce your yeah, name. Yeah, so it's Caleb Rudow. And what I say is Roo isn't stew, mm-hmm. Dow like the place where you trade money. And for all the <laughs> listeners, if you think of a more catchy way of telling that to people, I'm all ears because I haven't heard anything better. But right. We just um, argued
1: with someone about it yesterday. They were like, no, it's Rudeau. We are like, no, it's not. But you said you were yeah. like, I asked him. Well
2: done. Thank you for yeah. correcting the record. It's, been yeah. a, it's a constant battle. And I get it. It's different last name. It's, what it used to be was Radowitz. And then when my family came to the country, my great aunt wanted to be an actress. And so she was like, Radowitz sounds too Jewy. We're going to go for <laughs> something that sounds more American, like Rudow, which, uh-huh. of course, doesn't sound that American. And, you know, but here we are, so...
1: Great. <laughs> that was a great start. Yeah, that was a great start. <laughs> Tell us about your district. Where's your district? Why is your district special?
2: Great. So uh, Buncombe County, and I have kind of north and northwest Buncombe. And that's where I grew up in, in Asheville. And, you know, when I was growing up, it used to be Asheville was named both the free capital of the United States and the best place to retire in the same year, which I think speaks to, you know, how unique it is. It's mm-hmm. both, a you know, really alternative place, and it can also be a you kind know, of really normal retirement place and 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 I really loved growing up there for that reason and we grew up out in in the country in, in Fairview just kind of just outside of Asheville and you had really alternative folks and my parents were kind of back to the earth you know farmers and or well, that's what they wanted to be but you also had really conservative folks just just outside and I really think that mix um you know at that time it was much more mixed mix than it is now really influenced you know who I am and 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 how I grew up and you know, really, you know, Asheville still is you know, such an amazing place. You know, in my district, we have the French Broad River. It's this amazing water feature. We got uh, UNC Asheville, the Grove Park Inn, uh, New Belgium, of course, Beer City, USA. So it's just a great place to, to live, to, to visit, and I think a great place to grow up and still is.
0: Let's talk about the lineage of your district. You replaced retired representative Susan Fisher. And I'm going to go back even a little further. Beloved uh, Representative Martin Nesbitt went over to the Senate, now deceased. Talk about how you got into this seat a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's a great question, you know, and I never wanted to be in politics, and or never wanted to be a politician. I've always, I've been an organizer, and I got a degree in policy, and, you know, I just never thought I would do it, and this would be almost two years ago. I got a call to the blue from my buddy, Nick Smiley. He was, you know, great name, great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, easy the, to pronounce. Yeah, easy. Yeah, no, <laughs> simple. Um, and he, you know, called me out of the blue and was like, you should run for office. And I was like, I am not running for office. There is no way I will ever do that. And then, you know, six months later, Susan Fisher steps down, you know, that way that things kind of click in your brain and it takes a long time for you to piece it together. Like you're solving a mystery and you're like, oh yeah, of course, this is what I want to do. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, I was an organizer, worked in the democratic party, you know, really care about Asheville and 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 the district and you know because it's such a small world this is so funny Susan Fisher's youngest Alex uh, we were both in high school together and we were both uh, named most likely to change the world in our senior year class, right. which is such a funny, small town thing. Mm-hmm. But Humble brag. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> yes. well, I was a dorky kid in high school. I had this like, I had really long hair then. Mm-hmm. And on my lunch breaks, I would do, I would do the recycling. That's what I would always oh. do. And I biked to school and I was, you know, I've always been a kind of a real idealist and, and somebody who really feels like, you know, service and, and helping folks is really what I've done my whole life. And you know, that was the reason I went to the Peace Corps. It's the reason, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a big brother with big brother, big sisters. It's, you know, kind of what I've always done. And and I think it took me a while in in deciding to run, to piece that together and be like, politics is a great way to serve the community. It's a, it's a way to, you know, to serve in a way that I haven't done before and just really feel honored to step in after, after Susan Fisher. Um, and it's just been, it's been great. i you know, everybody always asks you, you know, Are you having fun yet is the first thing that that every other rep asks you. And it really is, is fun and it's, you know, dynamic and and fast paced. And I feel like every week something happens that completely surprises me. And Mm -hmm. that's, I enjoy that.
0: Talk to us a little bit about that process of getting to take that vacancy. A lot of folks don't know the executive committee picks the replacement and those battles can be really tough because you've got to get the insiders of the party to vote for you.
2: Take us through that. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a great practice because you have to run a mini election the elections (laughs) with all the electors, you know, and you, and I just created a spreadsheet and I created a list of everybody and i You know created a a a ranking of yes no maybe and then you count your votes and and you you know hope you make enough contacts and you talk to enough people and you make your case and then you have the you know in Buncombe it's called a basement election because it's held in the basement of the democratic party and you have to give your pitch to everybody it was a great start and it's just so much easier starting that way because you know you get an extra year to learn where the bathrooms are (laughs) which i still struggle with in the in the legislative building um And you get a year to meet people and talk to folks, and and you get to, um, you know, get a little bit of practice before you're here for the full section, which I'm I'm super grateful for.
0: And you're the most senior of your house
2: delegation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, the senior (laughs) gentleman from Buncombe, (laughs) honorable gentleman from Buncombe, is what everyone has to call me. You know, my background is as an organizer. And I think, you know, how do we bring people together? Organizers, generally, we only have carrots. We don't have sticks. We can't, you know, give anybody any punishment. And I think that's kind of what it's like, especially in the minority. You only have carrots and you can only incentivize cooperation and you can only, you know, only incentivize working with you. And that means you got to be a good person to work with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the core of it.
1: Earlier, when you were talking, you laced your conversation with a lot of little gems.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there
1: is the senior superlative, um, the Peace Corps. Walk us through your life.
2: Yeah, so you know I I have had a little bit of a wandering path, and I I I liked um, Sean Autry's uh, interview (laughs) too. It was great, and it was like, and and I (laughs) I relate to parts of that, you know. Mm -hmm. And there are some core parts of it that have always been the same, which is you know, desire to service and work in a community, you know. I think creativity has always been a core of what I've wanted to do. But, you know, I grew up in Asheville, graduated actually a semester early, and I went to, to live in Costa Rica. and mm. live with a host family down there, and it was just such a wonderful experience. And I learned Spanish, and I learned what it felt like to live in another country, and another culture, and that really influenced me. And, and, and I went to UNC Chapel Hill, and when I was in college, I wanted to be a rabbi, which was, um, you know, because, you know, it's kind of that piece of you want to serve your community, you want to you feel like you have a draw towards leadership activity, um, and so I studied philosophy and, and Hebrew. That those were that was my major and my minor.
1: Would you change your name back if you were going to be <laughs> oh, that's a rabbi? Great question.
2: <laughs> there is a movement for some folks to do that. So I, you know, wanted to be a rabbi, and you know, I think I became disenchanted with you know that idea, and I was you know moved to uh, kind of small business development. It's really what I was interested in, and I was graduated UNC Chapel Hill, and you know, with a degree in philosophy. <laughs> Uh, in the middle of their great recession which is mm. as of course you can imagine it's a great time to be a philosophy major especially mm-hmm. great um, but i, I managed the uh, fifth season gardening company which is a hydroponic beer brewing store oh, wow! Um, and so and I, and I really think that's influenced a lot of my policy thoughts on small business development because I kind of know what it's like to try to run a small business and hire folks and um, yeah, it was really just such a great experience for somebody who was 22 to oh, wow. to manage a business and you know I did that for a few years and I was living in this tiny house in Carborough behind a bunch of, um, public health master students. And they were all old Peace Corps folks. And, and, and they were just, they kept being like, you should go to the Peace Corps. And, and, and I think at some point it just kind of clicked and I was like, you know what, I, I I feel like, you know, I'd reached kind of enough understanding of the business world and what I wanted to do. And I wanted the new challenge. And so I I signed up and, um, was in Zambia for, it would be three and a half years. So I gave an extra year on top of it because um, I wanted to do what's called an extension. And so I mm-hmm. stayed there for longer. And the Peace Corps teaches you flexibility. Mm-hmm. It teaches you how to operate in different cultures, which yeah. is kind of a lot of like what you have to do as a politician. Yeah. Um, and it teaches you how to find success in a world where the metrics are much harder to find success. And mm-hmm. you know, I think yeah. really a lot of, you because know, people go to the Peace Corps and you're like, I'm going to fix poverty in my village. I'm mm-hmm. going to spoiler, you are not going to do that. <laughs> um, you're going to share culture. You're going to, you're going to make some small wins and, you know, and, and you're going to try to find the wins wherever you can get them. And so, you know, what I did, um, I had a bike and I had a folding chalkboard that I made of two pieces of wood that I painted chalkboard paint on and I'd bike to a new village and they, villages in my area spoke Chinyanja and Senga, which are two Bantu languages. Um, and I, I not, you know, put a nail on a, on a tree and I'd get my chalkboard and I'd Explain who I am. I explain what you know. America it is like, and and some of our culture, and we share culture, and I'd do this in in Chinyanja, and then um, we talk about what do y'all need, what's hmm. what's going on here, like what are your challenges, and then we try to connect them to services, and a lot of that was clean water services. Some of it was small business development. There was kind of village savings and loans associations, which wow. were really popular at that time, and that we were trying to connect people to. But it was really a just a, a great experience, and I think really what organizing is like too. It's kind of bringing people together, listening, trying to find solutions. You know, it was a great experience in, in being flexible and trying to find successes in a really vague, mm-hmm. difficult to move environment. Which again, it sounds a lot like the the General Assembly. Um, and so I was there for three and a half years, and you know, I while I was there, really got interested in mapping and, and data. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think when you're doing enough organizing, grassroots work. You eventually feel like there's got to be a better way to do this, and there's got to be something we can use to help inform decisions to make them better. And so, I went to University of Texas for my master's in policy at the LBJ School of Public Affairs, and you know, focusing on basically data-driven decision making. So, you know, how do we get the right data sets to the right people to make the better world, to make better decisions, to make the world a better place? That's kind of the long and short of it. And real focus on kind of mapping and programming and and, and that kind of work. And so, you know, I really thought i would continue to do international work because it's you know i I love the language piece of it i love every day is a surprise and you're always learning something and there's just so much work that needs to be done to try to try to make the world a better place and and um and then trump got elected and i kind of felt like you know being abroad under obama was different than being abroad under trump Mm -hmm. and you know just because we have a different you know i felt like some of the meanness was just hard to continue to do some of that work at least full time and i felt you know honestly called to to try to do more political work because it felt like Mm -hmm. that's what we needed to be doing and so i I was an organizer with swing left and the better work campaign and a bunch of different campaigns and um you know was balancing my time as a kind of data scientist researcher and as an organizer which i really feel like is both parts of my brain it's both the like let me sit in a room and look at a data set for a long time versus Mm -hmm. i really want to talk to people and i think i got to do both by doing both of those jobs and and The organizing work is what brought me back to North Carolina. I was living in DC and then I moved back in March of 2020, not related to the pandemic, but because I wanted to work on the election. I see. And so I um, moved back to Asheville and was working on the election that year and moving that forward to eventually when I decided to run. This is part of what I love this job about too. It's, you know, you spend trying to boil down what we do. And it's a good day if I just get to talk to as many different people as possible from as many different possible places. I don't know if y'all seen this in social media. I have a t-shirt that says, hi, I'm Caleb Rudow. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. You're representative for district 116. What's on your mind? And there's a map on the back. Mm -hmm. And I wear that to a lot of community events and it's kind of goofy and silly, but also nobody knows who you are in your communities. I mean, this is the real challenge You get, a few pieces of mail that say Honorable Caleb Rudow, and you're like, people know me. right? And then you go out in your community and you're like, hey, I'm your representative. I work for you in Raleigh. And they're like, you're not Madison Gawthorne. I'm like, no, right. I'm not. Right. Different <laughs> level of government. Right. And there is just a lot of explaining to do. And I don't mean to say that to say it to shame anybody, but just that yeah. we need to have, you know, spend more time in our communities, spend more time explaining what government does and who you are, spend more time talking to people. And again, kind of tying this back to some of the Peace Corps stuff, you know, in, when you're in the minority, you got to find some winsets for your people mm-hmm. i also really want to be able to help however i can and we've been you know really trying to be creative about that and unclaimed property outreach and the treasurer mm-hmm. falwell mm-hmm. I, I have to say i copied him on his giant check approach and i have my own giant check <laughs> i will say mine is i think bigger than his is his is foldable because no. he has to put it on his motorcycle but not for long, uh, yeah, not he's for listening. long. <laughs> <laughs> bring out your biggest giant check so give us some
0: perspective here how old are you? You're young by legislative <laughs> standards. Can we ask that? How old are yeah,
2: you? Yeah, yeah. I'm 36. so I'm no longer a young dem, which was a hard, hard birthday uh-huh. year. But, mm. but 36 is good.
0: So and you were in your early 30s, 2016. And then over the last 16 years, yeah, you Peace Corps and then came back. Yeah,
2: and- I've always been involved in politics. You know, My, my folks, um, I remember in Bill Clinton's first election, um, we had, we were, my parents took us to the democratic party headquarters and we were there, you know, folding papers. They gave us something to do. And I remember that election afterwards and him winning and being like, Oh, we, we did that. Wow. You know, we were a part of that. And of course we <laughs> weren't, but you know, that feeling was really important and, and and also to bring it back to the joy piece. You know, what we would always do, my parents would always bring us to, um, the democratic headquarters to help. And then they'd bring us to the watch parties afterwards. And it was that sense of joy that was yeah. so fun and people are there and everyone's excited. And yeah. what we would always do is my older brother, um, Josh would always convince us to stand behind the cameras. So whenever they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, hey, c- congratulations on your new election. You We're know, really excited. You would, if you go back to this footage, you would see two young boys behind dancing and kind of fooling around behind the camera. And this is always our tradition. Every two to four years, we would get on TV and then we'd show up the next day at school and everybody be like, hey, we saw you on TV. And it was mm-hmm. this, it was kind of a fun, it, it brings me back to what it felt like that excitement that kind of it was kid friendly and people were there. And, and I think trying to generate some of that, especially for kids on our campaign, I think, you know, we, we constantly are like, why aren't there more young people involved in politics? And then we constantly have the most boring meetings about (laughs) politics every time. And you're like, of course, that's why we're not involved. or that's why people aren't involved unless you can find ways to break through the noise, to, to engage with people on a real level, to show your humanity in, in the middle of all this. Um, I, I think it's, it's really you know, critical for us to do that just to bring more people into it.
1: I have a couple follow-up questions. One mm-hmm. is how many languages do you speak?
2: Comfortably three. Okay. And that's English, occasionally, Spanish, <laughs> and chinyanja. And then I speak chinsenga and Hebrew. Um, I don't, I still dream in chinsenga sometimes, but not often, yeah
1: second follow-up question was it hard for you to live there for three and a half years and then leave that community and culture
2: yeah i I still Uh, i still really miss it um and it's hard it's a lot of transitions and i you know still keep up with all the music and my friends and family that live there and there's a lot of dissonance too i think that's that's challenging mm -hmm. it's really it's hard to be in places that you know just with families that struggle and, and people that struggle and don't have enough resources and you know i a lot of people in my village die when I was there, and 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 after I left, a lot of my dear friends passed away. And you know, it's I, I keep that in my mind often, because you know we we live in a in a rich country and we have our own problems, but you know just the unfairness of the world and the dissonance around that is is hard. You know, I think and that's true for the pandemic and how some people came out just fine, like I did, and some people. You know, lost all their family members and lost their job. Really being intentional about how do you listen and and bear witness and and be present for people is is a really important part of it.
0: Let's talk about how that might relate to your service inside the General Assembly, not necessarily in the district, but working uh, where another language is spoken in many ways, (laughs) legislation (laughs) language, uh, the process, the culture, the norms, having to work with 169 other legislators, yeah. and we should point out that the majority of them are not in your party. So right. you have to uh, get things done in a different way. There must be some parallels
2: though. Uh, absolutely. You know, I think it's, you know, when I first got in and I still do this a lot, I just walked around the building as much as I could and talk, stopped in anybody's office I could talk to. Mm-hmm. you know, cause you're, you're the new guy and you can play up the new guy thing. And you, and you also need to talk to as many people as possible. And, right. and I did that and Democrats and Republicans and everybody. And, you know, I really think, um, that's at the core of all this is how do you build relationship with people and understand them and, and get to know them. And, and that requires showing up for everything. And, and people, I think eventually, you know, trust you through that process. And, um, I don't misrepresent myself in any of these meetings and it's, it's finding something that you can agree on and something that you, you share. And, and I really think um, that that's the first really important piece of it. Have you been
0: able to find those connections, particularly with legislators on the other side of the aisle?
2: Yeah. You know, I was, I was thinking in a lot of y'all's past podcasts, there's your kind of bipartisan origin story of like, how'd you, how do you get started? And, you know, I had in my, my first session or of course, you know, short session, it's, I'm trying to get an affordable housing bill done. And, Mm -hmm. and I talk to, um, Allison Dahl and she says, maybe talk to Hardister and, and I go by his office and he's not there. And I go by, um, the cafeteria and, and Rep Hardister, I really have a lot of respect for, and I think has just been good, sensible, nice guy. And, and he's eating lunch and I'm like, Hey, I got this bill idea. We're going to add more money to the affordable housing trust fund. And he's like, sounds great. How about, you know, compromise half instead of what you asked. And I said, Great, that was easy. And then okay. he signed on to the bill. And it's, you know, I think it's, you know, how do we not get in our heads about what people are going to say mm-hmm. ahead of time? And how do you be, you know, open and optimistic? And you just got to ask for stuff sometimes. And, right. and people will say no, but, you know, it, it's better that you, you're you open and ask about it. And, you know, I've asked other bills I tried to submit last cycle. I asked for Republican co sponsors and they didn't sign on. So it doesn't always work that way. Right. But, but, you know, if you never ask, you you definitely never get it. And I, and I think, you know, really trying to, to ask is a big piece of it. But I also think, you know, it's an important part of what it means to work with people. You have to show up for people when you don't need something from them. Right. This is a really core piece of what it means to build a functioning relationship, is to build the relationship with people. And I think, how do you treat people as people, not as objects or not as obstacles, but as people who, with their own desires and their own own needs and You know, I think if if you do that, you can get much more done.
0: I mean, a lot of it too at the General Assembly, tell me if you're wrong, is like you can't go in as a conqueror. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And you can't go in as a hero. I mean, I think this is a hero bias. And we especially international development is full of people being like, I got this idea to fix poverty, or I got this idea to fix, you know, child mortality. And and you really have to, you know, find ways that you keep yourself humble and that you keep yourself, you know, understanding that you are a part of a lot of people who have different ideas and different backgrounds. And you know, when I drive the four hours back to Asheville, and I, I don't do this as much, which is a shame, but back, driving back and forth, I often stop at someone else's, a new town or a new small town just to try to understand the place and try to it's try cool. to see. Yeah. It's and, it, cool. and it's always great. It's always a new coffee shop or yeah. you meet another new person. And, and I, and I think you just, it's a really helpful exercise to be like, Oh, this representative comes from this place and this place is very different than asheville is and and that's fine and 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 that's great and that that diversity of places is is fantastic um but we need to understand that before you you try to tell the person they're wrong because that person came from a different place and you know and, and i do think you know having to live in different cultures and with different kinds of people is a great training for that and that's you know living living in another area or living in asheville and having to you know work and live with people who are in surrounding counties that have different ideas. And I think that's at the core of, of a lot of this is, is realizing people are people and, and they're not, you know, they come from a place that is different and they come from a family that's different. And, and that's, that's good. And we've got to recognize that and find something that we can do together and not, you know, just say we can't collaborate and, and just, you know, stop talking to them.
1: Off of that. Is it hard sometimes being at the General Assembly and hearing people talk poorly about Asheville in particular? And I think yesterday we heard you on the House floor stand up and say, all right, you're dragging Asheville's good name. I have to get up.
2: Yeah, and this is, you know, I think this is a part of the politics game that I, you know, Asheville has a long history of this happening for and Mm -hmm. and, I know my, my friends on the other side of the aisle will say it's for, Good reason, and for some policy reason, they want to fix. and And I really think, you know, like I said before, Asheville is a surprising place. You know, we have lots of different kinds of folks that live there. And you know, the 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 issue yesterday was that, you know, in my opinion, it was a misrepresentation of anything. And no one in Asheville was planning on doing anything that they were saying they were going to do. And Mm -hmm. and it's that that feeling that I always same thing. I would wish people would come come to Asheville and spend time with folks and talk to people and and realize we're not. You know, we are more liberal than than you know. surrounding counties and lots of parts of the state. But, you know, we're also, you know, not the boogeyman that people sometimes make us out to be, which is, Mm -hmm. and I wish we wouldn't be treated for, um, as that by folks. And I had a great conversation with Representative Arp about it. And, you know, I think, you know, we had a good back and forth about, and I respect him, but I just, you know, wish people would just come visit with an open mind and, and, you know, treat us like, like people, Mm -hmm. like we are.
0: You have a lot of windshield time, uh,
2: quite a commute. It's a long drive. And, and I really think, you know, just, you, and this is it. You got to find something to keep you busy. And, you know, mm-hmm. for four hours, this is my day in the life of a Western North Carolina legislator. You know, you, you get in the car and then you call everybody you can think of. you have to talk something about, which is, you know, probably 10 to 15 people. Some people don't pick up. Some people do short policy conversations, check-ins, thank yous. You talk to your buddy, you, you haven't caught up with in a long time. And then, at that point, you still got two hours left, <laughs> and so then you go to peace. You know, you go to a podcast. And you listen to your podcast, and mm-hmm. I've um I've been trying to train myself. I can get through more podcasts that I put it on two or two and a half speeds. So, oh yeah, for Jeez. all my two or two and a half speed listeners out there, shout out to you. <laughs> I can't
1: say um, that, but that is how I studied for the bar exam. Yeah, you, you can get
2: twice the amount of podcasts in, a, in the time, and and then you know once that's done, I put on some music and I sing and hang out by myself and you know just. Try to get some reflection. Because at a certain point, you can't keep putting information in your brain. You have to right. just relax. And the one thing I will say, this is my my other hack. I got a CB radio. <laughs> wow. You know, the ones you could put the big antenna on your yeah, car. I did. And when i really feeling loopy, I stick that sucker on the top. And then I plug in the CB radio. And the stuff that you hear out of that thing is wild. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the early days of the internet. It's this complete free-for-all. Oh, and yeah. everybody is... You know, broadcasting from some different part of the world or different part of the country, and and there's all these really interesting characters, and it's you know it, it, it's at the you know what I talked about before. It's you get to listen to people and you have surprising conversations and you hear from folks, and so. Mr. Intergalactic is my tag name. So if you hear that out there. Okay,
0: that's your handle? Yeah, that's my handle. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. a Beastie Boys reference?
2: Oh, that's good. I, it was Mr. Worldwide is Pitbull. Okay. That was Mr. Intergalactic. It's a dig at Pitbull. It's oh, a is joke, it? Okay. But, all right. um, I'm thinking Beastie Boys. <laughs> Intergalactic, uh, Intergalactic Plan- planet. <laughs> <laughs> I am a big Beastie Boys fan, though. I probably should be Beastie Boys. Yeah. I love the Beastie Boys. <laughs> They're great.
1: We heard that you are sort of a celebrity singer.
2: Those are very kind and strong words. <laughs> Uh, for what I am. So I uh, I'm we used to be the lead singer of a, a David Bowie cover band uh, We and we were called Groovitational pull all right um, and it was and the name came I don't know if y'all are flight of the concords fans uh-huh. But there was a flight of the Concord song about David Bowie and it talked about his Groovitational pull and that's the name that we took and the origin of this was you know, we graduated I graduated UNC and I was managing a store, and I felt like there must be something more to life. I don't know. It was like my early midlife crisis, and I was uh-huh. like, "We're gonna start a band." And I've, I've always played, you know, bluegrass and and folk music, and had been in bands in the past, but I wanted to kick it up a notch. So I went to my buddy Robin Seelbach, who was actually a lawyer um, in Durham, and was like, "Hey, let's start let's start a band. Let's do it." And <laughs> he was in, and we got a lot of our buddies, and you know, it was, you know. <laughs> i I don't want to overstate this, but we were, we sold out a few shows. I've heard no, you were really have. good. Yeah, I know, I've heard exactly. you really good. And then we had, um, really the, the thing that we used to brag about was that we sold out a few shows and got enough money to buy a fog machine. We were <laughs> like, we've made it. We have a fog. As a young man from Asheville, I finally got my fog machine and I was like, this is it. We played it. He's not. Um, and we played at a few local shows. Vespa was a place and mm-hmm. chapel used to play. Um, okay. and I was just, you know, I, um, I love music and I love performance. And it was such a special time in my life to be able to do something like that.
1: You have a lot of positivity to you. (laughs) Very much so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that will die. (laughs) 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 i was just kidding. uh, It's a survival
2: mechanism, you know? I do think there's a, um, yeah, part of me that if, you know, it's you don't have any other option. You could Uh be negative, but it's not going to help you. And at least being positive is, you know, keeps you going and keeps you excited about the next thing, and that's, you got to find that because this job can be hard and people will yell at you and they'll be really mad at you and you'll feel like you can't get your things done. And unless, you know, you can find that thing that keeps you going every day. And I think I, um, Brian, I think I shared this with you before, you know, when I, I get up in the morning and I, you know, I don't look at my phone first thing. Mm-hmm. I don't do that because it's a nightmare. And, and I listen to a song that I like and then I just think, and I think mm-hmm. about what I want to do that day and what I'm excited about. And I think finding those moments is really an important piece of the self you know, the self-care part of this job and the part that means, you know, you have to find some ways that you can stay yourself and take care of yourself and exercise and do the stuff that you still love because you can really get fused to this job. You can get mm-hmm. fused to the idea of being a representative and sure. of being this kind of person. And, and I really don't want to get done with this and feel like I lost myself in the middle of all of it.
1: It's a great lead in to the magic wand question. So if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing in our politics or policy today, what would it be?
2: know, there've been so many good answers to this. And, and for me, I think I would make people more creative, 20 or 30% more creative, you know, because I think there's all sorts of wins that are out there that require a new angle that require somebody to think differently that require somebody to step out of their comfort zone and, and they require somebody to take a risk. And and I really think if we had a little bit of more of that creativity and desire to to try to to change things or try to think about things differently, I think we could get a lot more done.
0: Well, Representative Caleb Rudow, we appreciate everything you are doing in the North Carolina General Assembly, your service in the House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast.
1: The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more. information.
0: We met Representative Rudell right after he got appointed to take former Representative Susan Fisher's seat. What an interesting guy. And I I really do admire the way he will go up and talk to anyone, Mm -hmm. Republican, Democrat, lobbyist. He just is doing all the right things to try to build some relationships with legislators and get things done. That Peace Corps training really did pay off for Representative Rudolph. Thank you, sir, for being on the podcast this week. We enjoyed having you in our office and talking about NC Poll. Tweet, Tweet of, of the, the week. week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org.
1: This week's Tweet of the Week is from EJ Wilder, and he's at the underscore EJ Wilder. My favorite part about NC Poll is the dramatic overreactions to everything. Today, Cotham either sold North Carolina directly to Russia for $1 or she saved democracy in George Washington fashion. No (laughs) in-between.
0: Zero. (laughs) Yeah, and if you try to be, you know, strike the middle ground. People are
1: not having it.
0: Not having it. You know, is one of those weeks, Guy, that if you're trying to quit smoking or you're trying to quit drinking, you probably were not successful.
1: Yeah, well, you weren't trying to do either, but (laughs) in the Signy Diner, for like a couple of weeks, last week I was in there with Clark Reamer, and I said, you know, it does show what a dysfunctional family we are, that somebody is sharing their Nicorette gum, they're just leaving it in here for people to take some of, and you know who took some (laughs) of it? (laughs) Brian M. Lewis.
0: (laughs) I mean, so... NC Pole World is blowing up this week. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't smoke, but I I could use a Nicorette. So I took the Nicorette and it's a chewing gum. I did ask you if you thought it was safe because I don't want to be chewing fentanyl or anything like that. You thought it was safe. So uh, it
1: was in a sealed package. Yeah.
0: So I popped a Nicorette gum in my mouth and I blew bubbles. And did you feel high? I felt really good. I felt like, oh, this is nice, nice and relaxing. And I got on Twitter and read NC poll and chewed my Nicorette gum and it actually was nice and relaxing.
1: The thing about Twitter is that Twitter can be like the funniest place (laughs) ever during these sorts of things, but it wasn't funny. It was just... Sad, but it was definitely a train wreck you couldn't look away from.
0: It was. I mean, we even had a hard time finding a funny tweet this week.
1: You told me last night you weren't even looking for a while.
0: All right, so we're about to go on recess. Lord, if we could ever use a recess, it is right now. Hopefully, legislators take the next eight to nine days off. They're getting out of town. Good Friday. They are not returning for another week. You are going back to Illinois, and you're going to see your parents. Yes. And it sounded for a while like maybe your long-lost brother, (laughs) who only—he's like the He's not
1: lost. He just lives between two canyons.
0: (laughs) Sky's brother, he comes to family gatherings like—he's like the Olympics, right? They're every four years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's why they (laughs) like him so much. (laughs)
0: Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think so. And your mom said... So she was
1: like, Scott's coming. So my brother and sister-in-law, they've been married 10 years, and they have lived in Utah for a couple of years. I think I've mentioned this. Uh So anyway, as I had said before on the podcast, Scott never comes home. And so my mom told me last week, you know, Scott's gonna be here, blah, 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 blah. she's so excited, can't wait to see him, blah, 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 your dog meat, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, wow, I'm shocked by this. So I text my brother and I'm like, hey, I am shocked you're going home. And this was last Thursday when I texted him, okay? She wanted him there this coming Friday, right? Uh He said, I haven't committed to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the
0: olympics are every four years it hasn't been four years
1: i said that's not what mom said and he said well i think she's just trying to use her narrative or something
0: Uh, now what are you going to do when you're up there you're leaving friday and then you are coming back on monday so it's a long weekend Mm -hmm. essentially you're going to be there for you're going to go to church with your parents Mm -hmm. easter
1: yeah my mom does an easter lunch at our house so probably when i get there it's polish the silverware sky <laughs> vacuum the house sky <laughs> yeah. replace the china in the china cabinet the exact way i'd like it sky <laughs> wow your life is so hard for me this is
0: like a disney and we disney. go to the
1: car wash you know that's right. on sunday mornings we collect the money at the car wash
0: Uh uh-huh, count that cash
1: <laughs> how, how many
0: bags of coins do your parents have laying around the house
1: I don't think i'm inclined to answer that oh yeah
0: i'm sorry it is tax season <laughs> sorry if you irs if you're listening to this it's a joke <laughs> we're just pretending
1: i remember when i was in high school i hated that job though because it would be a sunday morning middle of an illinois winter and where our car wash sits it's like right by the walmart and so there aren't and it's Illinois, so there aren't trees to like hmm. cut the wind. The wind just cuts you at 6 a.m. on Sunday, and you're out there getting that money out. You're so cold. All of the quarters are freezing cold, too. And then you inevitably drop the money on the ground. Then you have to pick it up quarter by quarter. All that cash. Yeah. <laughs> that,
0: that would warm me up, though.
1: Then I go home and I count it, and then... We used to, when my parents first bought the car wash, we didn't have machines that counted the money. We did it all by hand. And so it's like a three or four hour process every Sunday afternoon. You know, you put the quarters (gasps) in the quarter roll.
0: (laughs) Wait, this sounds dumb, doesn't it? No, this sounds like a money making (laughs) venture if there ever was one. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking right now, like (laughs) lobbyist or go just own a car wash.
1: You run into problems with car washes. You know the soap's not dispensing right. Someone hits the machine, the automatic, and then they tear it up. So then you're down for days. You're down a couple, you know,
0: thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that counting money sounds really oh God, hard. My parents
1: are gonna kill me. Please don't tag them in this again, Brian. Like you tagged my mom last time, so she listened and knew we were talking about him.
0: And then we got on some conference call with them, and your father's like, "I that's his narrative." I disagree. What were we talking about? Your dad took the me the to time pick.
1: that you made him fix, or he made you fix his bike. Yeah, yeah, and. On my dad's birthday we called him and you're with me uh, to tell him happy birthday and like he <laughs> my dad he, he just makes you feel so small <laughs> He does, and i think it's so funny he
0: does and i feel so like i'm like your friend from high school hanging out with you i'm like <laughs> i'm four years older than this man why does he intimidate me philip all right no tagging the davids i hope you have a great time in Illinois. I hope you get some well-deserved rest. I know you're not going to be able to cut NC Pole off completely, but we're coming back on the 18th Sky. We got a lot of work to do in this budget process.
1: We do want to say one of the things that we're looking forward to is that the Growler is going to be on May 24th. Mm-hmm. Our good friends at the Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association wanted us to let folks know, put it on your calendar. We'll see you at the Growler. We hope that you take the time next week to relax, unplug from North Carolina Politics News, and enjoy your family and friends. We will talk to you next time, but until then, please remember to stay off Twitter and do politics better.